What's up, y'all? This is Lee with Pop Evil, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks! Hey, what's up? It's Andy from Blackville Brines, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks. Hey, this is Chris from In This Moment, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks. All right, this is Phil Cummings from Death Hunt for the Man Rays. You're listening to Iron City Rocks. Hello and welcome to episode 239 of the Iron City Rocks podcast. I'm your host, John, coming to you from the Iron City of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, bringing you the best hard rock, heavy metal rock, and blues talk on the net. Episode 239, we are joined by one of the largest selling artists of the last uh, probably 15 years, Linkin Park's Brad Delson, joins us on the show to talk about their new album, The Hunting Party. Uh, I think a lot of people remember, obviously, when uh, Linkin Park came onto the scene with... Uh, Hybrid Theory, which surprising even to me, looking back, is one of the largest selling debut albums ever. It is also the band's only non-number one album. Uh, the uh, subsequent albums have all gone to number one, and it looks like The Hunting Party is poised to be number one as well. So we had a chance to talk to Brad. This uh, interview was actually one we did uh, for GuitarWorld.com, so uh, you can find this article several weeks ago uh, was written out on guitarworld.com but we wanted to bring you the audio here so you had a chance to hear uh, from Brad himself so without further ado Brad Delson from Lincoln Park Brad um, first want to talk uh, obviously you guys have a new record about to uh, drop here pretty soon do you want to talk a little bit about how the the band wrote wrote the album sure John Um, I would say early in the process of of creating demos for this record. Mike had written a bunch of stuff. Um, uh, Mike had written a bunch of demos that were influenced by music that we all love. It's like indie music, you know, different versions of alternative music, electro, uh, you know, oriented stuff. And, as he started to just kind of share it for the rest of the guys and listen through it, he did an about face and 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 just determined that um, the demos he was making sounded they sounded derivative, okay, reactive to the things that he was listening to. They didn't, in his mind, they didn't feel forward facing, and he threw them all away. Okay. And it was a substantial amount of work, and he basically, you know, hit the lead <laughs> and started over. And he, he, uh, in fact, he wrote this essay on a blog called Pigeons and Planes, and it was a reaction to an article about it that basically said, you know, um, uh, you can fact check the actual name of of the piece, sure. But it was something to the effect of like, where did all the um, where did all the, you know, the bold defiance go in rock music? Why does it sound so passive these days? And and Mike's response was essentially like, why does it have to be? Mm-hmm. And then 
kind of, you know, set a, a mission for us to try to make something that was just that. It was uh, an aggressive album that was um, an aggressive album that could be uh, both rooted in the heavy music that we've grown up listening to and also um, progressive in the sense that Every time we go into the studio, we want to try to make something that we haven't done and that hopefully people haven't heard before. So it was kind of a lofty goal, and we spent the last eight months in the studio, um, uh, you know, playing in that space. And it wound up being tremendously inspired and inspiring path to go down and wound up, for in, in terms of my role in the process, John, um, really, really pushing me to kind of get back into the love of playing every single day mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, driving the writing process through, uh, through, through playing guitar. Now, when you're doing this, I mean, it's obvious, I would think any band that, that's achieved the level of success you guys have, you know, there's, there's gotta be pressure in there, you know, from fans t- to make a consistent Lincoln Park sound. I'm sure there are fans that would love to hear you kind of regurgitate hybrid theory. Um, and you mentioned kind of wanting to get away from, playing what you listen to now, which has got to be hard for any musician to not, you know, you get turned on by some artist's album to not let it creep into what you're playing. Do you, do you in that kind yeah, of mindset get away from listening to other artists or how do you, how do you accomplish that? I would say in terms of expectations, John, the highest expectations that we have to deal with in the studio are always our own. Okay. Um, we know that we can't go into a creative process trying to please other people. The only people that we can potentially please and that we always commit to pleasing are the six of us, which is hard enough because we all have disparate tastes. So our kind of process in the studio is like a trial by fire for the songs that if they, you know, pass, if they pass the muster of all, you know, six of our diverse um, proclivities, uh, and expectations, then we feel really just, we, then, then we know we love what we've made and mm-hmm. we have the confidence to share it with the world. And our hope in that case is that other people will connect to it too. Sure. Um, uh, just to be clear though, we're not, we're not, we're making music, um, because, you know, there's a, there's a deep personal need to do it as mm-hmm. artists and we always want to make something that's great. Um, in terms of process and like the direction, you know, going back to the direction of the record, Mike's comment to me and I, and to really all the guys, and you could hear it in the drumming too on, on these songs. It's like to really channel the inspiration that every musician feels when they first start learning their instrument, you know, whether they're 14 years old or 15 years old. Like, I used to play guitar, I don't know, three to six hours a day, every day, for the first, I don't know, ten years that I started playing guitar. Right. (laughs) And I would go on trips and I would, like, beg my parents to let me take my guitar because I could not play my guitar. So that, and it eventually, you know, I didn't play guitar six hours every day. In fact, I might have been in the studio, but I started to gravitate personally toward other instruments that I didn't know as well, and I found that to be inspiring. And um, for our band, you know, the and for me, the guitar was still obviously an important instrument on all our records. It wasn't necessarily the driving force on 
some of the records as much as it was maybe on the first record or you know certainly it was on this record right um and i really did i really did rediscover that like almost like childlike wonder of just loving playing every day and 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 i i hope that people hear that on the record cuz it it was a really fun album to make yeah i i think anybody who listens to the album is going to pick up on that was there anything in particular you did to kind of Re respark your love of playing the guitar was you know any in particular or just finding the time to it carve out in your schedule. I think it just happened like playing every day for like I would say in month two of playing every day. I was just like I kind of hit my stride and I was doing things that I wasn't that I was that I hadn't done before and uh, I just found that really cool and and I think like I've joked about like how how many guitar solos there are on the record. Because I think there's one on almost every song, mm-hmm. and I've typically not been associated with that. Right. Um, just aesthetically, our first two records, I felt like the music didn't the, the music did not warrant guitar solos. We were blending we were blending rock music with other genres, and the best way to fuse those two things was not necessarily to to add certain uh, certain d- defining rock elements into the mix. Right. It was like a lot of like um obviously everything's always in service of the song and so the parts are should always be in I believe the parts should be in service of the song and uh and on these songs th- there was kind of an exuberance and a wildness that it just felt natural to want to put these solos into like everything right <laughs> so yeah. like there got to be a point where I was Mike would be like okay what do you want to do now I'm like let's let's do a solo <laughs> and uh and I think they sound like that. Like there's a solo on the song War. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember that just like, I mean, someone asked me, oh, did you write these parts? And I, I said, no, of course not. I don't think I'm talented enough to write, <laughs> to write those parts. They're just kind of an exuberant expression of of the song. Yeah, and that, that's interesting you mentioned that because, you know, there are, there are bands out there that you can tell will we'll kind of shoehorn a, a guitar solo into a song because... You know, at the after the second chorus, it needs a guitar solo because of, of the formula. But you know, t- to put something in because the song feels like it needs it is a totally different reason. And that's, uh, you know, I think everyone should take a, a, a note on that one. You know, that a song, you know, can still be metal or you know, rock without without a solo. You know, is just very evident by some of the songs on Hybrid Theory. Um, but when they fit and done well, they fit very well. Um, anybody in particular you you enjoy as a soloist, or, or you maybe you know take some notes from when you listen to? Um, and there's so many great bands that do that well. Obviously, from from Led Zeppelin to Nirvana to Guns N' Roses to mm-hmm. Metallica to Smashing Pumpkins. I mean, there's a there to Alice in Chains even. You know, there's like there's so many bands that do that well, and you associate that with their sound. Right. Um, you know, when you were talking a minute ago, John, about formula. You know, we're fortunate enough that we've been doing what we love now for quite a while. Yeah. <laughs> and part of the challenge of that, and I think part of the responsibility of continuing to make records, is not to be derivative especially not to be derivative of ourselves. So this idea of formula, like the guys in my band are so sensitive to, I would almost say hypersensitive 
to doing anything that's that that could come off as formulaic mm-hmm. our kind of goal or objective is to constantly subvert formula right they take the listener on a ride where they don't know what's coming next and i would say that was certainly um front and center on this record um yeah. There's kind of a progressive nature to not not just to getting sounds, but even structurally in the songwriting, like trying to find ways to subvert conventions so that things happen that you're not expecting. That that to us always feels the most like the most exciting thing to do. Right. Yeah. I mean, there are, there are songs in there that you listen, you know, that have you know kind of a, a very rock metal thing, and then you know you've got hip hop elements thrown in and. Uh, I think it keeps it keeps it very fresh listening. You know, to listen to it. it's not um, like you said. It, it, you 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 really blend a lot of different things, but it does not follow a formula by any stretch. Uh, and, and many, you know, long term successful artists find a way to do that. You know? Thank you. I mean, I think part of it is uh, uh, is res- our respect for the listener. You know, holding presuming that everyone, you know, anyone who listens to the music is 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 bright listens to a lot of music and we want to you know take that person on a journey whoever they are and exceed their expectations sure so um that's why one of the reasons we work so hard you know crafting these songs is to try to do something that that excites people who've heard sure now uh, when when you when you do i'm sorry sorry go ahead on, on this particular record, did you um, use a lot of different like guitars, or, or you, you're still with PRS for guitars? Um, I I use PRS guitars live. I used them in the studio. I used a um, I used a Fender Strat that was built um, by a guy that works I think works out of their custom shop. That's a reissue. That's like. You and I would I would recommend you talk to Ethan Mates, our engineer, because he okay. got all the um, the detailed specs on all the gear. Okay. There was one Fender in particular I played pretty much throughout the album. Um, we have a Gibson SG that we play. Mm-hmm. Um, we really had and we had a lot of um, kind of one-off, you know, uh, eclectic uh, instruments that we would sometimes grab for mm-hmm. specific. Parts, but I would say in terms of the body of the record, sure. mostly the Strat, um, some SG, and some PRS. Yeah, I mean, and those are all you know. Obviously, nothing sounds like a Strat, you know. So it certainly has its its niche, and and uh, you know that's one I think that anybody who creates an album, regardless of endorsements and things like that, the Strats always seem to find their way in here. Or there. Yeah, I love the Strat. Like I love the single. Humbucker, single, you know, uh, single coil pickup, mm-hmm. or even like the heavy, really heavy stuff. Mm-hmm. I think you go with the double humbucker, but to me, like the Strat winds up being more of a not an obvious choice for those parts, and can give you that thrashy, yeah, kind of unique tone that that you know we wanted on a lot of these songs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, um, you guys have already announced a few kind of big, big festivals in, in 2014. Um, do you guys have kind of mapped out where, where touring is going to take you at this point, or is that still kind of up in the air? Um, well, for 2014, we, 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 yeah, we have our European festival run that we're doing in June, and we're going to start rehearsing for that um, soon. 
And then we've got our carnivores tour with, with 30 Seconds to Mars and AFI in the States. And then we know we'll have dates later in the year and, and hopefully next year as well. But those are still a little, those are still coming into focus. Okay, great. So we can see you out with, you know, two pretty heavy hitters there as well. Um, I, I have to, to, to know, see, Irony, like when you guys, um, put the album out, do you get like pressure from the label as far as, you know, I mean, you guys have had, the only number one uh, the album you've put out to this date that has not gone number one is Diamond Platinum. Um, do, do, right. do you have to kind of keep that in focus when you when you're doing a record as to you know how do we how do we you know keep this up? You know you're, we're one of the few bands that over the last 15 years have you know really harnessed incredible record sales. Oh, thank you. Um, n- n- the answer is no. There's there's no way to control that. Mm-hmm. Like we certainly. Um, we're really fortunate that our debut album and the follow-up, I mean, commercially did, you know, way beyond our expectations and really helped to set set a path of our career. Um, what's interesting is, you know, it's, in spite of the success of those first two records, um, there's no pass, you know? Yeah. Like, and Rick Rubin was instrumental with our third record mm-hmm. in really helping to challenge us to channel that um, true inspiration that set the tone on those first records. Mm-hmm. Like his, his his message to us was you're never in a creative box. Always do what's the most creatively authentic and inspired, and that's going to be your best work. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was certainly the case with The Hunting Party, where it was almost like, I remember with our first record, there was a sound that we were not hearing, a version of combining these elements in such a way that didn't exist to our ear and we wanted to create that and and this album was driven by that same passion of like there's a sound that we're hearing in our heads that, that we're not hearing out in the in the universe and so that's driving us to try to make that and share that with people right. and uh, that's the only thing we can really control is like the creative output you know how it does commercially it's always um, you know up to the universe yeah, yeah, and that certainly is, and obviously it's a it's a different universe than it was 15 years ago. Uh, right, but, and in some ways it takes pressure off mm-hmm. because things aren't can't be measured by the same barometer. Yeah. Oh, so I almost see it as liberating of you know just focusing on doing great work, and mm-hmm. um, if that happens, then people connect with the music and they come to the shows, and um, we're certainly super appreciative and grateful for our, to our fan base who have gone on on all these wild rides with us and we've picked up new fans you know obviously along the way sure. um you know to be a, a fan of the band is is not to be um is not to be uh you know comp- seeking uh uh is not to endorse you know complacency because it seems like we're constantly going in <laughs> You know, moving the uh, the flag, you know, in a yeah. different direction, and Absolutely. so that's what you know so exciting about being in a band. And we're certainly grateful for for our fans who continue to go on that journey with us. Yeah, which which is a, is a great point. I mean, because obviously your first, you know, fans of the first album are fourteen years older now, and their tastes have changed. You know, you're introducing uh, new fans to new styles of music, uh, 
and you guys, you know, weave so many different styles of of other types of music into your music, you know, not just metal, but hip hop and electronic music and stuff that, you know, really, you guys are kind of a cornucopia of, of many different styles, and I think that is very appealing. So, Brad, it's it's been a pleasure. I think we are Thank in you. good shape, and I we look forward to seeing you on the road uh, here in the states. Awesome. Great right. talking with you, John. All right, John. Thank you to Brad Delson of Lincoln Park, also the band's management, Guitar World, for making the interview possible. Uh, you can get the new album, The Hunting Party, is available. It's been out for about a week now in the United States, so it's available on iTunes and all the usual places. Again, they'll be on tour, doing some festivals in Europe, doing some dates in the United States. Fortunately, nothing in the western Pennsylvania market where I'm at, but uh, hopefully we get to check them out very soon. You can visit us at ironcityrocks.com. We're on Facebook, forward slash ironcityrocks, Twitter, forward slash ironcityrocks. Check all those out. You drop us an email at ironcityrocks at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Appreciate any feedback on iTunes. Until next time, thank you for listening. Thank you.